0: Think about what you think about for a moment. It's kind of a crazy season. There's so much going on. You're going a million miles an hour. But take a moment and think about what you think about. How much time in your head do you give to thinking about negative things versus how much time in your head do you spend thinking about blessings or positive things? Did you know that you're not even aware about how much time you dedicate to to negativity, to curses, you're not even aware of it. You don't even know. You don't even know how much time you spend in your head complaining about stuff. You're not aware about how much time you spend griping about things. You're not aware about how much time you spend saying, Well, if something bad's going to happen, it's going to happen to me. You're not aware. And we know this. We know this scientifically. The top men have said it. I I don't have quotes and I don't have references for you. Google it. It's true. It's true. We're not aware about how negative we actually are. Did you know that if you want to not only become happier, more filled with joy, a positive person? Did you know that if you want to grow spiritually, this is, a, this is a very, very powerful spiritual principle. If you want to grow spiritually, you must do two things. First, you need to set your, your gaze and your heart and your focus upon our Savior. Like you need to start looking at something good but you need to spend an equal amount of time and actually even more energy, more spiritual fortitude choosing to quit thinking about all of the curses, all of the negativity. You will grow, you will go faster, stronger, more like Jesus when you get rid of all of that negative stuff that you go that goes through in your head. So think about what you're thinking about. It actually takes a spiritual discipline to know what's going on in between your own ears. And it's hard. You have to catch yourself. You have to take those thoughts, as the Word of God says, and you need to hold them captive. No, you need to say to yourself, self, quit thinking about those negative things. Especially during this blessed season. Did you know, is this a real battle? Is this something that I just deal with, or do you guys deal with it too? This is a real battle. Did you know over 2,000 years ago, it was a real battle too? That the, 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 the characters, the, the people in the book, they dealt with the same stuff we deal with. They had some stinking thinking that kept them from connecting with God. That kept them from being blessed that kept them from from seeing what Jesus can do and what Jesus will do. It's way beyond cognitive thought therapy. It's way beyond the power of positive thinking. It's a spiritual roadblock that will hinder you if you do not give it up to the Lord. It's a very big barrier, this negative, stinking thinking. Again, it's not cognitive thought therapy. It's downright, dirty spiritual warfare. And the enemy of God will jam these negative thoughts into your head to keep you from connecting to the Holy Spirit. It's one of his best tools. And I'm going to read you a Christmas story about this very instance. This is the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea... Okay, Herod, if you guys went to the play, if you saw the Living Nativity... You know how negative that guy was. That's another sermon altogether. That guy had some very fear-based thinking. He was territorial. He was selfish. This was his. No one was going to take it from him. Like the dude was a bad dude in the play and historically too. Michael Jones did a little bit of a creative license with his personality and his character. Herod was brilliant. He was A massive builder of incredible structures. He was a master politician. He pulled off things that that no other ancient Judean ruler could pull off. That the the he redid the entire temple. He made it big, he made it better, he made it glorious. When you, see, um, when you see God's people wailing at the wailing wall and when they're praying upon that. I've been to it a number of times and I've stuck prayers in that wall myself. Do you know who built that wailing wall? Herod did, the bad dude in our scene. Yeah, he did these amazing things for God and yet he was one of the most toxic thinkers on the planet. The bad dude. Not just, I mean, anyway, okay. Going on to our next guy. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there lived a priest named Zechariah. Kids, how you doing? Look up here. Okay. Look, let me just get your attention, kids. This is, this is really important. I know, you're, I know you're wiggling. Okay. Old people, before you start dozing off, just look up here. Look at my power tie. Okay. There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly uh, division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron, and both of them were upright in the sight of God. Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, they were good church-going people. They were upstanding. They were righteous in the sight of God. Observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations, Blamelessly, meaning that they, they had their morals all in line. They, had, they, they were checking off all the boxes. They were following the law. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they both were well along in years. Once, when Zachariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn some incense. Like you had to be, enough, you had to be doing pretty good to get this job. Uh, in the previous temple, they would stick little bells on your ankles, and you'd go into the holy of holies, and you needed to shake your leg to make sure that everybody knew that you were still alive. They tied a rope around your ankle when that bell quit ringing, mean that meant uh, that you had some sin in your life, and when you were in the presence of God, well, you just couldn't take it and you would die. Maybe we'll get to that point someday in our worship service. That's my goal. <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry, that's okay. A little punchy these days. Okay, Merry Christmas. And when the time for the the burning of incense came, and all the assembled worshipers were praying outside, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. Now, I'm not going to give Zechariah a bad time for this, because anybody that sees an angel is usually startled and gripped with fear. And if you've been reading your word, you know what the next line is, right? What does the angel say? Fear not. Fear not. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Yeah? The, the angel is saying to Zachariah, I'm here to answer some prayers today. Hmm? Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John, and he will be a joy and a delight to you. This is amazing stuff. I mean, God's going to fulfill the desires of his heart. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or firmament drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Now, that's called a baptism of the Holy Spirit. You all should be praying for it. You all should. I I don't know when it's going to happen. If you haven't been baptized in the Spirit yet, ask God. John the Baptist got it before he even came out of the womb. That's pretty cool. I think I got it at 12. And I've had multiple experiences, and it only happens when you're kneeling at the altar, and everything is just right with the Lord. I'm kidding. That's not when it happens. Like, yes, it can happen in that sense. It can happen in a religious expression of of. of of being in God's presence. Absolutely, 100%. But did you know, one of my most powerful baptisms in the Holy Spirit is when I'm trying to drive to church and I had to pull over the car because I couldn't handle God's presence in the, in the vehicle. Like, you guys can get that too. It's not just special for me, even though I got the power tie on this morning. I, it's not just special for me. Everyone can have this John the Baptist experience. Why not you? Amen. We, we call them religious experiences. I call it being loved by God. Yeah. Amen. Okay. Mm-hmm. I started talking too much and I lost my place. Well. <laughs> 16, thank you, honey. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord God. So he's going to call back God's people. He's going to call people to repentance. He's going to prepare the way of the Lord, this John the Baptist. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and they're disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Like, we almost need this today. I think this is happening. I believe that God is turning um, the hearts of fathers to their children in this this day. Because what, what... what is being placed in the hearts of men and in the hearts of women is that there's more to life than just making a buck. And we're beginning to see that the true worth, the true value takes place in the home, that takes place in the expression of a healthy family, of a functional, healthy family family. And so whenever the Lord turns the hearts of fathers back to their children, that means that God is going to do something big because he needs a platform to do it in. And the platform is not the pulpit. The platform is the home. The deceitful To see transformation. The transformation that all of our hearts desire to see. We want to see the world become a better place. We want to see the world become a righteous place. We know that there's something desperately wrong with the world. And we want to fix it. It doesn't get fixed here. It gets fixed at home. We want to see the culture transform. It transforms uh, at at your dining room table first. Okay. I'm preaching today, aren't I? Yeah. Okay. Power tie. (laughs) Jerry, where am I? 18. Zachariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Did you guys catch that? Maybe all of you negative thinkers underline this. How can I be sure of this? All right, let me just hop down for a second. Have we all done this? Well, what is, what it, what it, what is, what's going on here? The enemy of God is engaging in downright dirty spiritual warfare for Zachariah's mind. He is literally in the presence of an archangel, Gabriel, like in, in, the, in, in the temple. I mean, this is something that he's probably been, an experience that he's probably been desiring and praying for his entire career as a priest. This is something that he, this is the moment, like this is the Super Bowl moment. This is super exciting. And in a brief moment of weakness, Stinking thinking sets in. He says, how can I be sure of this? I don't know, Zachariah, because there's a big giant angel standing in front of you. How about that? How about because this angel is saying, hey, today I'm answering your prayers, the thing that you've been praying for for a very long time, the desires of your heart. I'm going to answer it today. And he says, how can I be sure of this? Do you know what that is? That is a, that's an attack on hope. Because Zechariah, even though, even though that he is a godly man, he's a righteous man, he's upright, he has he's proven himself to be faithful, yeah. He's a he's a man of faith. He's proven himself day in and day out. To be faithful in what he does and his practices and his religious expression. But not only that, he's proven himself to be faithful in character and morals in the sight and the presence of God, so much so that he gets written about and his character attributes are described to us in the Word of God. Like this is a good guy. He is a good guy. How many people know some good guys? I know some good guys. But a good guy that slips in to hopelessness is a guy that Jesus can't use. Because hope deferred, Psalms uh, 119, what is it? I have it. Hope defers makes the heart sick. Hope defers makes the heart sick even the best of us can be ripped off if we slip in to hopelessness. Hope is vital to the Christian walk with Jesus. If you are a hopeless Christian, you are an ineffective Christian. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. 13.12, by the way. He, in a moment of weakness, he loses hope. In the Christmas stories, there's a lot of other moments where people could have lost hope. Unfortunately, we don't have all the details of all the specifics. But Mary and Joseph, on their way to Bethlehem, it was a hard, long journey. Pregnant woman on a donkey. Just think about how hard that is. And if I was Joseph, my prayer life would be activated. I'd be, oh God, would you please get me through this situation? You know every step of the way, Joseph is praying. It's like, how am I going to survive this? I got a pregnant woman. I got a donkey. I got to get to Bethlehem. Like, There's some crazy guy that might want to kill me. Like, he could have easily have lost hope. Could you imagine you arrive to Bethlehem? Now, you knock on the hotel door and they say, oh, I'm sorry, there's no room at the end. I wish we had the details of this story. When we get to heaven, I want to know what Joseph thought in this moment. I got a feeling he did not have a Zachariah thought. I think that in the moment he said, you know what? It's all going to be okay, honey. We're going to get through this together. I I believe and I have hope that God's going to see us through this situation. I believe that that's what happened. Again, we don't know for sure. It's 100% Pastor Josh's speculation and what happened in the moment. But could you imagine if he'd been like, well, go figure, if, you know, if anything bad is going to happen, it's going to happen to us in this moment. Of course, they don't have any rooms at the end. Of course, we're out. Okay, that type, of, that type of thinking will crush hope. Yeah? Last week, I talked about the wise men. I talked about that they had to do hard things to give Jesus a gift. So, you know, of course, you know that the wise men presented Jesus with gifts, and this is where we get this whole idea of, of giving gifts. But then um, the Gospel of John tells us the real reason for Christmas, which is that God is giving us a gift, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave us the ultimate gift. So that's the true meaning of Christmas. You want to know what the meaning of Christmas is? It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the ultimate Christmas present. We get to unpack it. We get to open it. But it requires a hope to do so. So the wise men present their gifts to the Lord, and they, they give him his gift. And again, they had to do something hard to get there. And again, I speculated on what the travel time, again, if you want to get to know somebody, you need to travel with them, live with them, you know, break bread with them. If you really want to get to know somebody, you've got to do something hard with somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to be put under some pressure. You've got to get uncomfortable. And Casper, Balthazar and the other dude, which they're not named, they're not named in the Bible, we made that up. It's true, it's a, it's a traditional name, his name is Casper. yeah, um, they presented God, they did something hard. They presented God's gift. And then, you know, maybe they went back to Persia or they went back to Egypt or they went back to Iran or whatever. They, they, maybe they went back, maybe they stayed. But then they got the news. They got the news that there was the massacre of the innocents. And I just wonder what they thought about in that moment. It's like here we're trying to do something good, and our, our good deed, something really, really bad happened. Why did we do that? I mean, I wonder. I wonder if, if any of them thought, man, if I had to do it over again, I wouldn't have given the gift because I gave the gift and there was a massacre of the innocents because of what I did. I, I don't know. I don't know what they thought. I just know that that's how I would think. And that's a wrong way to think that when those thoughts come into the head, your head saying, you know what? I tried to do something good and I, and I put myself out there. I did something hard. And as a result, something bad happened. Okay, those are the thoughts that you need to hold captive and make them obedient to Christ. Because the truth is, if you did something for the Lord and it didn't pan out the way that you thought that it would, it's not for you. It's for the Lord. It's not for your win. It's not for your spiritual elevation. It's not for your glory. It's for the glory of the Lord. If something bad happens and you're trying to make sense of it all, like I thought I was doing something righteous, something bad happened. If you're trying to make sense of it all, you need to offer that up unto the Lord because it's not yours. It's not—it's not your burden to bear. So, what are we to do? All right, kids, do I have your attention? Yay! More kids. Okay. All right. Yes. All right. Anybody snoring? Old people in the back. Anybody snoring? Okay. What are we to do? The wise men's gifts were pretty cool, but way better is God's gift to us, yeah? God gives us the most incredible present. And it's just, I got a little present here, it's cute, I love it. I'm so curious as to what's inside of it. It's probably chocolate. Amen. Amen. I uh, I went, okay, so I'm on a bit of a health kick right now. I went um, 80 days without sugar. Woo! Like, without processed sugar. I'm eating fruit and bread and stuff like that. But, you know, no sweets and, and no booze for the most part. And, uh, um, and I'm going to do another. But, okay, so... My, my dedication to the Lord and cutting out sugar and booze was a 70-day fast. Because 70 and 75, they're biblical numbers. And I truly believe in my heart of hearts that I received breakthrough and victory over sugar with a 70-day fast. I'm doing it again in January. You can join me. Okay, the, the gift that God gives us is, is, a, is a present. The gift of life, the gift of hope, this, this gift of living life and living it to the fullest, the, the gift of eternal salvation, of, of a saving grace, Of a grace that saves us from an eternity separated from our Creator. It's presented to us. Like it's literally under the tree. Like God's gift is under the tree. What's inside? What's inside of this? I wonder what it could be. I wonder what's inside. It's probably something really bad. It's probably not chocolate. It's probably a bar of soap. Right? It's probably another candle. It sucks. It's like what? It can't be anything good because nothing, ever, nothing good ever comes to me. So therefore, I am not going to open it up. Right? But don't we do this? God gives us the ultimate present in His Son, Jesus Christ, and we have to open it. We have to unpack the thing. And, and we can't allow... The enemy of God to say, Don't open that up because if you open that up, you might not like it. You might be disappointed. Don't open up that present because you know, inside that present there might be disappointment. There might actually God might call you to do something hard like be a missionary to Africa or something. So you don't really want to see what's inside the box. I just want to encourage you, your your heart's desire, your mindset should be, what's in the box? What's in the box? What's in that box? It's something good. Because God is the author of goodness. He is the author of kindness. I should probably... Let me just... Dang. Okay, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? How can I be sure... I'm an old man. Here's the negative stuff again. And my wife is well along in years. And the angel answered, I am Gabriel. and I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent for I am not able to speak until this day happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the proper time." So you've got to believe the hardest thing that you'll ever do is believe the why is the work of God is to believe the work of God is not self-sacrifice. The work of God is not flagellating yourself and making you feel guilty and doing all these things and these acts and giving and serving like that's not the work of God. The hardest thing you'll ever do is actually believe this stuff in the presence of a holy God. Like if Zachariah is having a hard time believing in, in the presence of a visible, visible angel, how hard is it for us? You've got to believe that God loves you. Amen. You've got to believe that he sent his son to die on the cross for you. You've got to believe that, that he is, he's here to give you the best version of yourself. He's here to give you joy and not happiness. <laughs> he, he did not come to make you happy. He, he came to give you joy that bubbles up from within. It's a it's a we can call it divine happiness if you want. Joy is better than happiness. So let's pursue God's joy instead of pursuing this cultural happiness that we think that will fulfill us. It won't. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed in so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they'd realized that he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them. Like, like what wrote that sign? It's like, oh! <laughs> it's like, like, freaking out, right? <laughs> making signs to them. But remain unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife became pregnant and for about five months remained in seclusion. The Lord had done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and He has taken away my disgrace among the people. All right, so Zechariah lost hope while he was reading the Word of God. And because of that, it hindered him. It hindered his ability to speak. Because God can't use negative speaking people. God can't use people that are in a constant state of complaining. God can't use people that are not self-aware enough to know what you're thinking about. To think about what you're thinking about. That requires spiritual discipline. We need to know what we're thinking about. And you have to be honest with yourself. Am I spending more time complaining about the situation and the circumstances that God has led me into? Am I spending more time complaining about that and less time saying, I choose not to allow this spirit from from hell itself to enter into my mind. I choose that when I am in the presence of God, I will never say, God, are you sure about this? I choose whenever God is, is forcing me to do something hard for Jesus that I don't say, oh, I've got better things to do with my life. This is, this is not worth my time. Um, I guarantee you that Jesus is worth your time. I guarantee you that He is. when Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem, something was birthed that didn't exist before. What was birthed, obviously, was Jesus himself our Lord and Savior, who would eventually face the cross and die on, the, die on it for the forgiveness of our sins. So obviously, the, the second member of the, whole, of the Holy Trinity was brought into our physical plane of existence in that moment and time in history. So that definitely took place. But what also took place was the birth of hope. And this is new. This is new. And so we have This gift of hope that is being birthed into all creativity. And just like Jesus is a gift that we have to unpack, hope is also a gift that you must unwrap. You have to have hope in the darkest days. Like you want to be righteous, you want to be faithful, you want to be a person of love, but if you're not a person of hope, then your mouth is not going to be effective in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. You're, you're, you, the Lord will shut your mouth up if you, don't, if you don't unpack this gift of hope. that There's different character traits of what it means to be a follower of Christ. There is the, there's, the, there's the gifts of the Spirit, and then there's the fruit of the Spirit. If you've been walking with us for a long time, you should know what these are. So we've got the fruit of the Spirit. Just faith, hope, and love, kindness, Charity, like, like these are, all, these are, these are the, the expressions of the faith. Forbearance, self-control, a sound mind. These are the expressions, you know, love towards everyone. Like these are the expressions of the Christian faith, right? But the, the prime elements of the faith boils down into three things. Faith, love, and what's the one in the middle? Hope. Hope. Paul tells us that it's, this, it's these three primary elements for walking with Jesus. You've got to have faith. You can't make God happy unless you have faith. Like, love is, like, you know, it says the greatest of these is love. Like, I can't, I can't teach and preach how you can be a more loving person. That's a decision you must make. This is a decision, it's an easy decision that anyone can make, but it's also the hardest thing to do is to actually have a heart soft enough to love others and to love God and to love yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But hope is, is sandwiched right in the middle between faith and love. It is so powerful. Believing that God is on your side even when there's no room at the end, believing that God has promises for you, even when you're, you're old and your wife is barren, like there's going to, like, figuratively, you could, be, you could have a John the Baptist on the way. And you need to let it be birthed. And you need to get out of your own way. You need to get out of your own head and allow God to do what God wants to do. You have to have hope for each and every situation, each and every circumstance. In order for hope to take root and to be powerful and to be transformative, you, you can't think like Zechariah. You, 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 you cannot discount what God can do. You've, you've, you've got to believe in the big stuff. You've got to believe... The God is a God of miracles. The God is a God of love. And the God is a God of hope. Mm-hmm. You've got to believe it. Mm-hmm. May the God of hope. Yeah. Okay, what, who's our God? He's the God of hope. Yeah. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. Which is definitely a Christmas theme. Not happiness. May he fill you with all joy. And may he fill you with all peace as you continue to what? To do the hard stuff, which is believe in him. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in even more hope. What a powerful Christmas scripture. I don't think it's ever, I don't, I've never used it at Christmas time, but it is full of Christmas. It is the Christ's mass that says he wants to fill you with all hope and even more hope as you continue to believe. He's going to give you more joy. He's going to give you more peace, but you need the power of the Holy Spirit to tap into that. So that may the God of hope May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace as you continue to believe, as you choose to believe. Not that you're struggling to believe, you're going to cast that thought out. You're going to choose to continue to believe in Him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And may may that baptism of the Holy Spirit may fall upon you on this holy season. May it fall upon you in this building. May it fall upon you at your dining room table. May it fall upon you in your car as you're coming and as you're going. May you be baptized in the Holy Spirit during this season. And may you, yes, even receive more hope for your future. Why? Because Jesus paid the price. He is good enough. His grace is sufficient. And He loves you. And he gave you that gift to show you how much he loves you. God bless you guys all. Tonight is communion again if you want to join us. Candlelight communion. I promise I won't go forever. God bless you guys. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody.